Welcome to Asante Church. It's good to see some faces I haven't seen in a long time. It's good to see some faces for the first time. And on a weekend where I thought the whole church was going to be on vacation, here you are. I love it. Good stuff. Well, hey, we are in a new series this Sunday morning. We just wrapped up our series on Thought War. Uh, I sent a misspelled in the title email to you yesterday afternoon uh, for resources regarding our Thought War series. Um, it came across as reources if you got that email. If you didn't, be sure you check your spam box. And if you didn't get it whatsoever, not even in your spam box, make sure you leave your Connect card with us and you'll get emails like that in the future. Um, that was full of ways to study the Bible, ways to memorize scripture, ways to, get, ways to get into worship, ways to prepare you for different strategies when it comes to the Thought War on our mind. But today we are in a new series, and it is called Lemons. When life gives you lemons, turn them into what? Somebody just said pancakes. <laughs> I know exactly who that was. Let's try that again. When life gives you lemons, turn it into? Projectiles. Projectiles. Man, all right. Lemonade, that was the right answer. 98% of you got that right. Here's the issue I have found when preparing for this sermon series. I try to start off every sermon with a story with some kind of illustration just to kind of pull us in, and I was unable to do so with this sermon series. And every lemons and lemonade story that I came across, all across YouTube, the internet, wherever, no matter what TED Talk it was, every single story had something in common. And every single story had one thing in common, and that thing was that the lemons and the lemonade, the person that turned those lemons into lemonade was a person that was telling the story. And so that's not really what I see true in my life. I know there are certain scenarios where we can take the glory, we can take all the hype for whatever story has come out of our lives, but that's certainly not what we want to do as believers. That's certainly not what we want to do as followers of Jesus. And so today we're diving right into the narrative story over the length of this series, we will be doing overarching character studies. And so today is on this character whose name is Daniel. And today we will be almost completely in Daniel chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6. That's going to be in the Old Testament. That's in the front part of your Bible. Um, we're going to be in the New Testament. Those verses won't be up on the screen. Hopefully I'll read them out right to you and you can trust me for my word that they're there. So today we're diving straight in. We've got some pre-context before the pre-context before the context of what we're going to talk about today. And that is in 2 Kings chapter 24. What we see is Babylon's first attack on Jerusalem. And when they attack Jerusalem or when they attack Judah, they take exiles with them to incorporate into their culture. And amongst these exiles are four men. There is Daniel. There is Hananiah, there is Mishael, and there is Azariah. Now you probably know them by the names that they would receive once they go to live in Babylon. Daniel pretty much stays the same every now and then. It refers to him as Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, or Meshach, and then Azariah, Abednego. All right? Bless me. That was a lot of heavy words. <laughs> Sounded like a sneeze. In the first chapter of Daniel, we see that Daniel is recruited to serve in Babylon. There is pressure to give up his Jewish identity, but Daniel stays faithful to the Torah 
And what happens is it leads to his exaltation up through the ranks of leadership and the government and the structure of Babylon. Chapter 2, the king has a dream. And he has a dream, and it is weird. It's like a, I ate one and a half pizzas before I went to bed weird. And so he calls in all the diviners. He calls in all the people that can interpret dreams or read minds or any, any kind of superpowers like that, supernatural powers. He calls them all in, and he says, hey, here's the dream. I need you to interpret it. If you don't interpret it, then guess what? You're all going to be put to death. And so they say, all right, we've heard of this guy named Daniel. Certainly there's no way we can know the king's dream. He didn't tell it to them beforehand. He just said, hey, guess what I had a dream about? Boom, tell me what it was about. Everybody gets real nervous. They go to the, the one guy in the kingdom that's weird and serves his own God that he served before he came in the kingdom. Daniel interprets the dream. And the dream was about a train of kingdoms following Babylon. And ultimately, God's kingdom will one day humble every single kingdom on earth. Chapter 3, we get to the three bad boys in the Old Testament, all right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to worship the empire. What happens? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into what? We'll see who listened all the way through kids' ministry growing up. Boaz. The big oven thing. My man! It could be said no better. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the big oven thing. When they were in the big oven thing, there was a figure of white that shone in that big oven thing right alongside them when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into them. And King Nebuchadnezzar saw that they were protected by God, and he exalted them up through the ranks, just like he did Daniel. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's pride is kind of the emphasis of it. He's told to humble himself before God's kingdom. And what does he do? What a, lot of, what a lot of leaders do. He arrogantly resists. He's stricken with madness. And eventually he humbles himself before God. And God restores him to the place of king. Chapter 5, it kind of parallels chapter 4. And it's Belshazzar's pride. He's told to humble himself before God's kingdom. He arrogantly resists. And he does not humble himself before God. And he is assassinated that night. Chapter 6. This is where we find ourselves today. And I usually don't title my messages, but this one was too good to pass up. Chapter 6 of Daniel. Big king, big cats, big city, bigger God. All right? That's where we're at today. So Daniel chapter 6, 1 through 5. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit after that. Then verse 10, a little more paraphrasing than 13 through 18. So go ahead and turn there. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius. Now, I think his name is actually pronounced Darius. That sounds a little weird, so I'm going to say it's Darius, all right? Like the lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish, okay? Like Darius Rucker is the king of Babylon. It's just funner if you read it that way, so bear with me. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. I just want you to know that the king that comes after Darius, his name is Cyrus, all right? So you have King Darius, and Cyrus is his last name, hopefully, which means his first name's Billy Ray, and that has nothing to do with anything we're reading today. But as you put yourself in the story, just know, country might have come from Babylon, all right? And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account. So Daniel was over them. They're obviously a little 
jelly about that. So the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. From there, Daniel 6, 6 through 9. These higher-ups, they get together, they plot, and they brought their plans to the king, and they really, really, really sucked up to the king before they present it to the king. And this was their plan. Whoever worships anyone or anything besides King Darius must be thrown into the lion's den. The law was passed. According to their custom, it could not be changed whatsoever. They slide that document across King Darius, and he signs it. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, what did he do? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Continuing, the higher-ups, they get together, they got sneaky. Not only did they get sneaky, but they got to creeping on Daniel, all right? They didn't have Facebook pages back then to see what Daniel was up to, so they had to go spying on your boy, okay? Now, it said that he went to his upper room, his upper chamber, where he had windows that were facing towards Jerusalem, and he got down and prayed. That means that these guys had to either climb up something to get elevated to where they could see into Daniel's house, or they had to be at a higher elevation already. Either way, they weren't just passing down the street and saying, oh, there's Daniel praying, breaking the law. What a bad boy. And so what did they do? They creeped on him. They saw what he was doing. And then they went and they tattled to King Darius that Daniel was praying to someone other than the king. And in a very smart-mouthed way, they reminded him of the document that they had kind of tricked him into signing, using his ego against him. Verse 13 Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, what we talked about, their cultural custom, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king, and then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. So you can see that Daniel was not an enemy of the king. The king was rooting for Daniel. The king was rooting for Daniel's God to save him because he had served so faithfully. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
the first thing that we see this morning, the first point that we write down this morning is that Daniel was punished for his faithfulness. Daniel was punished for his faithfulness. The faithfulness in Daniel's life is what brought about this, these lemons in his life. This certainly wasn't the first time that Daniel had seen lemons in his life when he was brought out of Judah into Babylon as an exiled young man. Lemons. When his friends were taken and thrown into the big fiery oven. Lemons. There had been lemons in Daniel's life over and over and over. But regardless of the lemons in Daniel's life, Daniel was faithful. And he wasn't just faithful sometimes. Daniel was faithful consistently. We can see chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, that in order to trap Daniel, what these higher-up officials had to do was not bank it on what he might do or, do or not do against the king. They had to bank it on what he did for his God. That means he was so consistent that the trap that they set for Daniel was based off of his consistency. They could literally set their clocks knowing that Daniel was going to spend time in prayer to his God, to Yahweh, to our God, three times a day. So are we that consistent? As a church, as believers, as those in relationship with God, can we look at our walks with Jesus and say that I am just as consistent as Daniel. Can I be counted on to be that consistent? If somebody asked my wife, if somebody asked my kids, am I that consistent, would I be able to answer honestly, yes, and that answer match up to theirs? And is my consistency before the bad, or is it just after the bad? I think there's a tendency in a lot of our lives where we turn to God when we really, really need God. But what happens before we are absolutely desperate? What happens before we are really, really in need of God? Are we finding ourselves faithful in the good times, or is it just in the bad times? Let's be consistently faithful people. And when it comes to our faithfulness, Daniel had faithfulness in the face of opposition. We see that verses 9 through 10. He knows the document. He read the document. And what did he do? He went to his house, went into his upper chambers, and he prayed anyways. Now, I know our church pretty well. I know we got some of the most stubborn, hard-headed people that I've ever met in my life that worship right here almost every Sunday. And I know for a fact, if somebody told you you could not do something, that you would go home and you would do it. If it wasn't sin, some of you doesn't matter. You'd just do it anyways, sin or not. All right, we pray for you. We do. <laughs> is, there, is the faithfulness in our lives consistent enough that we're already praying to God? We're already spending time with the Lord. We're already worshiping Him multiple times a day before it is something that is taken away for, from us, before it is in opposition to the law, before we give to Caesar what is Caesar's and we give to God what is God's. Is our faithfulness consistent before the opposition or is it just after the opposition verse 19 then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions and as he came near to the den where daniel was he cried out in a tone of anguish the king declared to daniel O Daniel, servant of the living god has your god whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions 
Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel trusted in his God. No, so Daniel was taken up and out of the den, and no harm had been done. <laughs> no kind of harm. Goodness, guys, hooked on phonics only worked for so long for me. <laughs> and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded. And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Certainly not a part of the story we hear in kids' church. Second point this morning. God delivered Daniel. Daniel was faithful. He was consistent in his faithfulness, but it was God that delivered Daniel. He was persecuted in his faithfulness. God delivered him. Lemons into lemonade. We see that there are three characteristics of Daniel before and after God's deliverance, but three three characteristics that are exemplified in God's deliverance. And in this, we see that Daniel was hopeful. Daniel knew that God was in control. Not only did Daniel know that God was in control of the situation, but Daniel knew that God was in control of who is in control. Daniel knew because he had seen it in King Nebuchadnezzar. God was in control. Daniel knew because he had seen it in King Balthazar. God was in control. And now Daniel knew because he had seen it in the two previous kings and all throughout his time in exile in Babylon that even in King Darius, God is in control. And he knew that God appointed King Darius, knowing that this exact thing would take place. I wonder if we operate like God is in control in the way that Daniel did. Whether it's the person that's in office that we're for, that we voted for, that was our guy, or whether it's the person that's in office that we didn't vote for, who we think is a joke. I don't know what side of the aisle you stand on that. and I just know that it flip-flops quite a bit of the time. But what we need to realize as a church and as believers is that God is in control. And that God is in control of who is in control. To the point of when we see in King Balthazar's life, when he did not turn and recognize God, that he was assassinated that very night. We see when King Nebuchadnezzar turns and realizes that God is in control that God restores him into being king. God is in control. Not just another country, not just Babylon a long time ago, not just other nations outside of the United States, but God is in control today. No matter who is in office, God is still in control. Daniel also knew some key information. He knew the final outcome. He knew that despite the current circumstances, despite what was on the shelves in the grocery store, despite what the news was saying, Daniel knew that in the end, God wins. Church family, let me tell you some good news this morning. In the end, God wins. I don't care what the world looks like around us. 
In the end, Jesus is king. In the end, Jesus reigns. I'm going to bank my life on that. I'm going to follow that before I follow anything else. So let's ask ourselves, are we hopeful? Are we hopeful like Daniel? Are we operating like God wins? Or are we operating out of fear, self-preservation, self-reliance? Certainly there's wisdom in being prepared. But when we operate out of being overly ready, instead of operating on God, what he has called us to do, and trusting in him to protect us, as we see he has done Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and here we see him do it in Daniel's life. Are we hopeful? And are we operating like God, like Jesus wins? Another thing that Daniel was, Daniel was expectant. He had seen this scenario before. And as we've already hit, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the furnace. These were four of Daniel's friends. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel is about the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And the last six chapters, or seven, are about his dreams and his visions concerning the end times. Daniel would have talked to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they went into the furnace. He would have talked to him as they came out of the furnace. He would have talked to them about the fourth figure that was seen in the furnace, knowing that that was the Lord keeping them safe. Daniel knew exactly what his God was capable of, and he knew that he could count on it. So are we expectant? Can we look back in our lives and see God's deliverance? And can we fast forward to the present day in our lives, and can we bank on God's deliverance? He showed up for me here. I know he's going to show up for me now. I've seen him show up for my, in my friend's life in these places. I know he can show up for me now. And the third thing, and the final thing that we see in Daniel's life, not the final point, you didn't get that lucky this morning. Daniel is humble. His entire time in Babylon, he served in humility. He did exactly what the king asked of him, and not only did he do it, but he did it well. So for all my people in the workplace, let me tell you one thing, that the best witness that you have in your workplace is your competency and your attitude. It's not necessarily about how much of the Bible you know. It's about how good you are at your job. Because I'm going to tell you this, if you're horrible at your job, nobody's going to want to know what you think about the Lord, okay? But if you show up to work every day and you are good at what you do and you have a good attitude about it, that's different, right? There's the people that are really good at what they do, but man, their nose is so high, you can see every booger inside of it, all right? <laughs> you don't want to be that person. You want to be the person that's got their nose to the grindstone, right? Heads down. That's working hard and has a great attitude about it. That is a joy to work with. That's the person. I want to know what's fueling that. And if that's you, not only are you competent, but you have a good attitude. I want to know what's behind that. And if that's you, then you'll be able to share that that is 100% Jesus every single day. We see in Daniel's life, he is humble, not just to the king, not just in his service, not just in how he serves the king, but it's even after his death sentence. We see in verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, this is when he takes the top off of the den of lions. And he says, Daniel, you in there? You all right, buddy? And Daniel says, what? O king, live forever. Now, what are the first, you know what, don't say them out loud. But think about, what are the first words that would come out of your mouth if you just survived an entire night in a den full of lions and actually made it out? 
it would probably not be, O king, live forever. It would probably be some words directed towards that king that we should not say in church, especially with this being recorded for the internet. (laughs) Daniel loved, and Daniel was loyal, and he served the king out of a heart of loyalty. And that heart of loyalty came as an overflow of his relationship to his father in heaven, God, and it overflowed into his relationship, to his competency, and to his attitude with the king. So, are we humble? Are we humble in the bad, in the face of injustice? I think a lot of times we're pretty conditioned to being humble when things go our way, when you get the promotion, when you win the big game. That's when you got to be humble, right? When everybody's coming around you, oh, how did you do it, man? You're so awesome. I can't believe you scored that winning goal. I can't believe you landed that big client. You're the best. Oh, it's not, it's not about me. Seriously, it's not about me. Sometimes you might even give it up to the Lord. That's all God. What about when it's injustice? What about when it's not fair? Are we still humble in those moments, the less conditioned moments? You know what? That wasn't fair. But we're going to press on. You know what? It's all right. I'm going to lean into Jesus during this hard time. We're going to make it through. Are we humble in the good when we have God's favor? When we've been delivered, then do we give it up to him? I think what we see here in this instance, in this scenario with Daniel, is a semi-parallel to the gospel. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament, it all points forward to Jesus. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And everything after that, the epistles all the way to Revelations, are all pointing back to Jesus. And so we see Jesus in this, Matthew 28, 1 through 6. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone that sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. So instead of running into the lion's den, the two Marys, what do they do? They run to the tomb. Instead of Daniel being in the den, untouched, what do we see? The tomb was empty, and death was defeated. And death being defeated left us completely untouched through the work of Jesus. But in both situations, we see that the outcome is the same, and we pull the outcome out of the remaining verses of chapter 6, so 25 through 28. Hold with me, we're almost there, people. A full chapter, one Sunday. This is crazy right here. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
And it closes out with this. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What was that outcome? What was that outcome at the empty tomb? What was that outcome at the den of the lions? When King Darius shows up, Daniel, are you okay? Are you in there? When the Marys show up, Jesus, are you in there? The outcome is that God received the glory. Final point this morning, God received the glory. In Daniel's lemons being turned into lemonade, God received every bit of the glory. In Jesus' being raised from the dead, God receives every bit of the glory. And that's what it's about. Our stories, God gets the glory. Daniel's story, God gets the glory. And the life and the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, God gets the glory. And certainly, certainly we get the benefit. But the glory goes to God. So major takeaway from Jan- Daniel 6 before we head out. Major takeaway is your witness is being watched. All throughout Daniel's ministry, all throughout Daniel's life in exile in Babylon, his witness was being watched. Your witness is being watched at home. Your spouse is watching your witness. Your kids are watching your witness. If I was to go up to your spouse, if I was to go up to your kids after service today and say, hey, what is it that your dad, or what is it that your mom, or what is it that your husband, what is it that your wife absolutely lives for? What would your witness be? If it's not Jesus, we've got to do a heart check. We've got to get some priorities straight again in our life. And when I look at my life, I worry about what my kids would say my most exciting times in life are, what I'm most joyous about, what my witness is portraying. Because it could be any number of things. It's the same at your work. It's your boss. It's your coworkers. It's the person you would least expect to be watching you every second of the day, or maybe just every second that you're around, especially if you identify yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you something. That's getting less and less popular to be. And you got a mark on your back as soon as people know that you're a follower of Jesus. I'm talking about even the janitor knows. And they're watching how you keep your desk if you still have a desk. If you work at the office and it's at your house, then your wife is definitely watching, or your husband, I don't know. It's the people that you send emails to. It's the people that are CC'd on those emails. It's certainly the people that are BCC'd on those emails, especially when you don't know they're BCC'd on those emails. Students, it's in the classrooms. It's your teachers. It's your classmates. It's your friends. They're watching your witness every single day. And students, I want you to know, all my students in the house, raise your hand. If you're part of our student home group, what's up, y'all? Let's go. Hey, I want to tell you guys how awesome our students are real quick. Our student ministry is about to double because our students have been so excited about the fun they've been having, about the stuff they've been learning about the gospel, about digging into God's word and studying it and spending time in prayer, that they have invited their friends And they've communicated how awesome it is, right? And this is our students. And they've invited their friends. And guess what? Their friends are showing up. And their friends are coming to student home group. And here within the next couple weeks, that thing will probably double if they all show up, right? We're going to have to just start picking people up and driving them home. Our students are awesome. Let's go. Y'all are good. That doesn't come without your witness. 
That doesn't come without people watching you and you living up to what you say you believe. It's one thing to invite somebody to church. It's another thing to completely live up to it after they know that you are a Christian, after they know what you have been being taught, after they know what you are supposed to be living out. And it's in our reach. It's what we post on social media. And it's in the good things in life, but it's even more so in the bad things of life as we see in the life of Daniel. And so my question to us before we leave this morning is who is receiving the glory in our story? If God is receiving or if God is turning the lemons in our story into lemonade, let us give him the glory every step of the way in our witness and the way we do things throughout our life. But there may be some people in here that say, I don't have any glory to give to God. Or I may have glory, but I'm not yet in a relationship with God to be able to give it to him. And I want you to know that if that's you and you've yet to enter into a relationship with Jesus, that the lemons in your life, the biggest lemons that need to be taken care of is sin. Romans 3.23 says, Everyone sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our lemons that needs to be turned into lemonade. Romans 6.23, Sin is death, but Jesus is life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's the awesome thing, is that Jesus takes our lemons. He turns them into lemonade. Romans 5.8, Jesus took our sin, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that everything that you've ever done, or everything that you would ever do, when Jesus took the cross, he knew about it, and he loved you so much, he still chose to die on the cross for your sin. Lemons turned into lemonade. Romans 10, 9 through 10, confess and believe. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that means our sin has been taken care of by Jesus' death on the cross. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. What turned our lemons into lemonade, church family? That was the death of Jesus on the cross. And as we say every Sunday, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again, defeating our sin, defeating death, and defeating the enemy. If you would say that you're in that camp this morning that hasn't yet put your faith, put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin, to put you in right relationship with God, and you know that this morning is the morning that you want that to happen, you don't want to leave here doubting your salvation, doubting your relationship with Jesus, we just ask that you'd have the boldness you'd have the courage just to write that on your connect card. There's a little box you can check off. I want a relationship with Jesus, and I want to follow up on that. It's so much more than just a prayer. We want to follow up with, with you on that. We want to take you out to eat, get you coffee, whatever it is. We want to talk about what that looks like in your life. And so if that's you, I promise you I'll send you an email tomorrow. If that's you, please check your spam tomorrow so that we can get together and talk about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. For the rest of us that would say, I've been a believer for X amount of time in my life, in my walk with Jesus, then let's give God the glory in our story. Let's pray. God, help us to be Daniels. Help us to be Daniels wherever we are, whether that be in our marriages, in our relationships, in our singleness, 
whether that means in the classroom or in the workplace. Help us to be Daniels. God, help us to be faithful, and not only faithful, but consistently faithful. God, give us the hope of Daniel to know that you are in control. Give us the expectancy of Daniel to know that you will show up just as you have shown up time and time again. And God, give us the humility of Daniel to serve with great competency, to serve with a great attitude, to serve out of a heart of worship that begins in relationship with you and overflows to everyone else. Father, may you receive the glory in our stories. May we not hold on to what you have done or what you are doing in our lives as our responsibility or something that we can take credit for, but God, let us hand it over to you. Teach us how to do that over these next few weeks. God, we strive to be Daniels wherever you have placed us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that through you, through your work on the cross, through your death, through your resurrection, that we can be changed, we can be restored, we can be set free, that we no longer have to live the life that we once lived, but now we can step forward. and We can inhabit these traits, these characteristics that were definitely displayed in Daniel, but that pointed forward to you, Jesus. So while we say help us to be more like Daniel, Jesus, help us to be more like you. And Holy Spirit inside of us, well up that people would see Jesus at work within us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.